gives this the dagger. Oh! Illegal substitution, too many men on the field, Saskatchewan. Gizmo has a block and the sideline. He has not stepped out, he may go all the way. He needs one block and he'll do it easily. Promise mess I wouldn't do this. McDavid stops up, what a move, shoots, scores! Hey everybody, welcome to The Outsiders, powered by the Macintosh Group at REMAX River City. This is Podcast 76. I'm Bryn Griffiths, he's Robin Brownlee, and joining us on this episode is Craig Simpson. Hey Simmer, how you doing? I'm doing great, Bren. How are you and Robin doing? I'm glad to be on with you. Thanks for uh, thanks for including me in your show. No, no, it's a privilege to have a guy who played 10 years in the National Hockey League with Pittsburgh, the Oilers, and Buffalo, two-time cup winner. And now we're about ready to get a season underway. Before we ta- start talking about teams and that kind of stuff, your team has been broken up a little bit. You and Jim Houston, Huey's decided it's it's time. Yeah, you know, it was it was wonderful actually uh, before the pandemic uh, getting an opportunity to share in his nomination uh, um, into the Hockey Hall of Fame. I think it's such a fitting uh, testament to his excellence and all the great work he's done, uh, not just in hockey. I mean, many years in baseball as well, but. Uh, you know, guy, he, he, it was a weird year last year, not getting an opportunity very often to work with him. I only had a couple of games in Vancouver. He wasn't traveling, a uh, number of things uh, with his family that he had to stay uh, close to. But uh, like any long career, the thing that made me feel good talking to him this year on this decision is just how calm and good he feels about making it. Uh, and, you know, one of the telling signs he said, he said he went back to his first game sheet that some uh, Jason Murdoch, one of our uh, statisticians, came up with and found for him. And, of course, it was written in handwriting and not not on a digital format that you have here. And he goes, it was 42 years ago. And so I think it's a little easier maybe to be calm and be happy with your decision when 42 years have gone by of, of really great, uh, great moments, uh, special plays, special calls. And he's just a gem of a guy and uh, will dearly be missed. But uh, I'm so happy that he's in a good place moving along. You know, Simmer, his career speaks for itself. But when you say uh, gem of a guy, I remember listening to him uh, back before I got to the journal when I was in Kamloops covering the Blazers and um, getting to meet him a little bit during all those years when the Mm -hmm. Oilers would play Dallas in the playoffs. It seemed, if I remember him picking us up one morning, we were waiting for a cab. No, come with me. I got a car. He's a. A terrific broadcaster, but he's one of those guys, I think, part of the longevity is that he was just a really good guy. I know that's a cliche, but that was my impression of him from getting to know him a little bit. 
Well, and I would say he's a great teammate. Like he, he treats you as part of a team. It's not about him and it's not about his moments. And, you know, the majority of the game is his voice and his tempo and he's setting the stage, but it's about the guys in the truck. It's about everybody who's doing the audio. It's about all the cameramen. And uh, I think that speaks volumes. And, you know, that's, that's how you have that longevity is when you're that type of a person, that's a great teammate and uh, just does all the right things for the right reasons. He his calls really became uh, something of a brand, and of course they went a brand right to you know uh, EA Sports, I believe, yeah, and you yeah. were part of that. But I tell you, you you were such a, a great pair uh, over the years. Did that come naturally for you, Craig? I mean, you were a broadcaster for a while before you hooked up with him, but it's not always easy to connect with somebody. You can both be good at what you do and you're not good together, but you guys were terrific together. So I got a great story for you there. Then the, we got hired both at, uh, at that time, CTV Sportsnet. We were the first game for Sportsnet in launching uh, their network. We had a seminar in Toronto and Jim and I, like you said, I've only seen him in a dressing room as a player when I was there. Uh, so we didn't have a friendship. I obviously knew who he was. So at the seminar, I'm coming in for, to Toronto from Edmonton. He's coming from Vancouver. Uh, it's not the days of texting and cell phones, right? It's like, I'll give you, when we get there, let's try to hook up. So yeah. I got in early and was trying to find a place to get a bite to eat. I, I, I went down King Street in Toronto, went to a place called the Red Tomato. And it's uh, a downstairs little place that honestly, I don't think I've ever even been there before. So I got on the house phone there, called back to the Weston and said, uh, Jim Houston's room. And they said, oh, I'm sorry, he hasn't checked in yet. So I left a message. I just said, oh, just tell Jim it's Craig Simpson. I'm at the Red Tomato on King Street and I'm going to be here for the next little while. Fine. Never thought of it. About two hours went by. So it was a long, I, I was ready to give up, was going to go home. And I started to move out and then down the stairs walks Jim. And I go, oh, okay. He must've got my message. And he comes down and he's shocked. He goes, Hey, Simmer, good to see you. Nice to, you know, nice to meet you, get together. I go, you mean you didn't get my message? He goes, oh no, I was like two hours delayed on my flight. I just threw my bags in and I said, I don't even know how I came here. I don't, I never come here, but I just walked down there. I looked at him and I said, I left you a message that this is where I was going to be. And guys, it's been the story of our career together. We're like an old married couple. We order the exact, without even discussing anything, we order the exact same thing. I would bet 95% of the time when we're out to dinner, when we're, we both like long walks and I go the 2014 Stanley cup, we were staying in downtown Los Angeles, but of course we like to go out to Santa Monica and walk around. I had been walking around on the beach and uh, for probably a good two and a half, three hours. And the sun's going down as I'm walking towards Santa Monica pier. And in the distance, I see a guy walking this way. And I'm looking and I go, of course, Huey, like we don't even have to plan to have dinner. We end up in the same places, staying downtown, walking around. Here we are in Santa Monica. And I look at him, he goes, ah, this is just a normal day for us. So, of course, you know, part of the, the great things we had as a team, uh, teammates, were talking about the game the night before the game. I mean, often we would do the game in our minds, what to expect you know, what the tempo is going to be, who the key players are. And that's how you get the chemistry too, because when I'm listening to Jim 
he knows after watching the play, he knows where I'm going to go. So he can segue easily right into it and vice versa. So it, it's, it's actually incredibly special. Uh, it's something that is a little bit mind boggling from even that very first day that we met and we're going to be teammates. And I think it did show in the way that we did games together for sure. You would think at some point you'd get sick of seeing each other, but on the 22nd <laughs> of March in 2008, you guys didn't do just one game. You did two, right? Yeah, that was a unique one. I, it, was the, it was the afternoon or here in Edmonton, and then we flew down to Calgary to do the late game. So I, I, I don't know if it was just a sort of publicity stunt there or they were desperate to get somebody to do that game in the late. But, yeah, that, that was a pretty unique experience. And But, you know, Bryn, the reality of where we've been in the last little while, uh, I mean, I go back to Sochi Olympics, and it was uh, uh, Jim and Glenn Healy and I. And Jim did three games a day for the first nine days. Like, wow. guys, it, it was, yeah. And I did two mostly, and he, and uh, Heels and I would go off. So we all did at least a minimum of two per day. But, again, that tells you the direction and the intensity of that voice for, you know, going that long. And, and uh, that was a pretty unique experience. And then, of course, the bubble of 2020, doing a couple of games a day in Stanley Cup playoff mode is, is pretty unique as well. Talk a little bit about, uh, you talk about unique experiences, Simmer. Um, that EA Sports thing, that was cool. When That's for posterity. When, you're, yeah. when yeah. your voice is in a game, it's going to be plugged into a console somewhere 25 years from now. Yeah, kids kids who don't know a damn thing about you as a player go, hey, I hear that voice. Or when Jim and I would go in somewhere, they're going, oh, you guys are the video game guys. I tell you, though, it is it's the most mundane work that you'll ever do. You're literally sitting in a sound studio and for Jim, especially saying the same name in three different inflections, you know, just a monotone name and then excited score a goal and they thread it all together. We'd be sitting at times we'd just be on our own doing a good two hours of literally saying over and over with different energy, different time again, they go, you know, first period goal, uh, tie the game. You got to give it a little bit more third period goal in the dying seconds. You got to, yeah, it's like, Oh man, by the end of it, you're just, your mind's blowing. But again, you're right, Robin, people remember the craziest things. And you know, one of the things that when Jim and I would be around after we had done it, we'd go, Hey, you guys are the video game guys. That's so cool. I play all the time. <laughs> so, well, it's funny because I was picking up a relative coming in on a flight from Vancouver and who was on that flight. It was Huey. So we were talking, while waiting for the luggage. And I said, what yeah. are you here for? It was right in the middle of the summer. And he mentioned EA Sports. I said, well, what's that like? And basically summed up what you said. He said, yeah. you basically go through this rhythm, great save, Terraria, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. It just, uh, he said it, it was really, he said, it's hard work, but it, it got a little tedious at times. I said, how long are you here for? He said, two or three days. And I went, what? Yeah. yeah it, no, it's amazing, days huh? for him. You yeah. think of all the different people involved at the names and the different inflections and nationalities. And yeah, his job was a lot harder than mine. Uh, but man, it, it, at the end of the day, it's an exciting, uh, uh, project to be a part of, but man, in the middle of doing it, you're going, why did I sign on to this again? This is a, <laughs> this is a heck of a boring long day. Why I found Chris Terreri's name out of the back of my head. I've got yeah. no clue, but Jeez. nonetheless, it just shows my vintage. Hey, uh, yeah. the, the other thing, and then we'll kind of move on to some other topics. Is there a game or a moment that stands out more than any other 
in your partnership on on, on the air? Oh boy, that's a because you guys have seen a, a lot, one, right? One. You've seen a yeah, ton. Yeah, we've seen seen a lot. I, I I mean, I guess for both of us, um, both doing our our very first uh, Stanley Cup final together. I, I did the one in two thousand and eight when uh, Detroit beat Pittsburgh, but I was in the studio on the panel, not. Uh, doing, you know, color with Jim. We both did it together in 09. And the save that Flurry made on Lidstrom coming off in the dying seconds and just his call and the first, uh, you know, real time together that, like any player, um, you know, as a player, you hope someday you have a moment where you're part of the Stanley Cup final and you get to, uh, the buzzer goes and you're the champion. You, you never feel that as a broadcaster, but I think you always remember you know, your, your very first final and those moments, uh, I remember it being as a player, so much is happening around you that you don't really see what everybody else is doing when they jump over the boards and start throwing stuff all over and flurry having to dive across. And then his teammates knocking the net off when they go as, as a teammate, it's live because you're interacting with them. Sitting above, though, it was kind of surreal going. It almost seemed in slow motion for me anyways. Uh, and then an opportunity to see, you know, the the exuberation of winning and then the desolation of losing. Like, it's, it really does show you look at one side of the rink because the camera doesn't often go to the other. Where you're sitting above, I think it really stood out. And also getting, you know, the only Olympics I did was in Sochi. And watching Canada win yet again uh, was, was pretty special to get an opportunity to call the game's greatest players in, you know, probably the biggest stage there. And uh, that, that one sticks out to me as well, being that far away uh, from everybody and from our families, but watching our, our country uh, come up and, and have yet another great performance. Simmer, you mentioned uh, some kid might be listening to you on the game console not even realizing you were a hockey player because time flies yeah i, I look down that road and i it makes me smile and, and it's a reminder as we const Bryn and i constantly get on our show how time flies i remember i want to say 85 86 golf tournament in kamloops i was a, a relatively young reporter at the daily news and i was talking to doug bodger yeah and we were we were all wild. What's it like to play with Mario and this and that? And and he was talking about the team. We got we got this pretty good guy, this Craig Simpson. I hadn't heard of you at that point. <laughs> He's a good player. Then I think of coming to Edmonton in '89. You were a part of the club then. Uh, you was a coach in Edmonton, and now uh, having gone on to the broadcast booth. If my math is right, you've pretty much now been a broadcaster for as long as you've done anything else, for as long as you oh, were a player. Yeah. And some people go, hey, this Simpson guy, I kind of like listening to him. He seems <laughs> to know what he's talking about, but they might not have any clue that you are a player. It's amazing how time marches on, isn't it? Yeah, and it, it kind of reflected that on me when Jim was saying, you know, the 42 years since his first game and my first, uh, I mean, you know, my situation in Edmonton, my back started giving me problems at about 24, 25 years old. I had to retire at 28. I know. So you're looking at your life and go, okay, that's 10 years. It went pretty quickly, but 28 is still a young man. What am I going to do? Where am I going to go? So my first uh, uh, 
hockey broadcasting was in uh, 1996 guys like so how many of our young fans were even born in that stage they had no idea of me as a hockey player at all so i basically uh if i do the math correctly this is about my 20th year of broadcasting and you add a four years of being a coach uh with the oilers there uh so yeah it's the longest the only thing i've done longer in my life is our charity golf tournament, which has gone 32 years. Wow. So, uh, uh, but yeah, it does put it in perspective for me too, Robin, of how important it is to try to stay connected with today's player too and understand how different. Like I, I sit in the booth, as you guys both would know, with no uh, misconceptions. I said, God, I couldn't even play in this kind of speed now or and how the guys are so talented. And I'm not one that knocks the game at all right now. I, I look at it in marvel of the intricacies of guys with skill coaches and the kind of work that you do in the off season to be ready to play day one. I, I, I marvel at it. And I think that that will help and allow me Robin to continue to do this for probably a lot longer because I'm not an old guy sitting back saying, when I played, this was better. I look and say, I couldn't even play today. And I think that helps you stay with the times and, and realize the skill set of today's players. Hey, when your career ended, and I'm with you way too soon as far as I'm concerned, but did you not jump to Fox first? Was it not yeah, the glowing? Was that the, in, yeah. Was that the glowing so I, puck time? A, well, yeah. So I, I've had, I, you know, we all know Fox Sportsnet in the U.S. now. Myself, Kevin Frazier, who's now a star on Entertainment Tonight, and James Worthy, big game James of the Los Angeles Lakers, we were the very first show that launched Fox Sportsnet. And we were the pregame show in every market across the U.S. So we had three hourly shows for each time zone. But I remember going, like, it was a wonderful start to broadcasting because nobody there knew anything about hockey. And there was a lot of neophytes just starting in the job of even producer in that. So I literally got to know how the producer works, how the director works, how all the audio, it was, it was the best experience. Uh, but I went down to that uh, interview. Um, they said, yeah, I want to bring it down to, to Los Angeles. I, I was in the NFL on Fox studio and this guy, Kevin Frazier comes in and I, and I'm thinking we just, just had a, uh, three kids in four years. My back is really troublesome. I took the year off. So even physically I was struggling I said, oh, but this will be a great opportunity to just get some experience. I'll just go down there. So the first thing Kevin Frazier says to me, he goes, so where are you going to live? What do you want to do? I go, live? I don't even want this job. I, I just coming down for, he goes, oh, okay. I literally had about a three-minute audition, and then the, owner, the uh, producer comes in and says, well, you're the guy we want. Here's what we're going to pay you. And I was like going, Whoa, this is a, yeah, how has that happened? But, you know, I look back at it, guys, and it's it's the best start to understanding this game and, and separating yourself uh, from being a player to then just being at the other part of the game. So it was a great start. Once they lost the national package at Fox, because um, I did the NFL, the NHL on Fox with the glowing puck, and Kenny Albert was my first guy uh, who was my partner there. Uh, then I looked in Canada and the same thing happened. A new network starting there, CTV Sportsnet. And that's the beginning for Jim and I, and, uh, my, my, I, I love doing hockey in Canada. I, I really admit, I'm glad I'm part of the Canadian broadcast, been proud of being hockey night in Canada. And I think it does make a difference being up in our market. 
But you jumped to do regional games here too in Edmonton, did you not? Well, so there's the other thing which brought me back to my earlier passion. Like if I hadn't have retired because of my back at 28, my path would have probably been from going from an older player who's already doing a little coaching to going into coaching. But because a, I wouldn't have been able to even survive a practice with my back, like as a coach, but five years later, um, you know, once we lost the national package again, so Jim Houston and I would do some regional games for Oilers in Vancouver, but we had a, our main thing was a national broadcast every week. And that's really what I, I didn't want to be doing a regional Oiler game. If I was going to have to do the Oilers, I'd rather be coaching and being around there. Yeah. So when we lost the national package, that was sort of the start for me to look to get back into the hockey uh, realm. And, you know, it was an amazing experience being a coach with Craig and Charlie and Billy, uh, Billy Moore's uh, just a great experience. And, uh, you know, in the end, the jump back to the booth was a decision of how quickly could I become a head coach? Cause that's ultimately where I would have liked to have been. And then looking at the opportunity again, life has a lot of little curveballs, as you guys know. Oh yeah. And Harry Neal, Harry Neal was kind of going to be gone on hockey night in Canada. And I go, if you're ever going to go back to the booth, that's that's the microphone you want to have is to have, you know, the main show on Hockey Night in Canada and jump back in there. So that's ultimately what happened. I remember talking to you when you were going to uh, make the change. The thing that struck me, Simmer, watching you first play, then uh, coach, you were you came into the coaching uh, position. Uh, with Mac T at about the same time, maybe it had already started, but the way you communicated with players had to change. There was yeah. an old school way about it was essentially because I say so I'm the coach yeah. and yeah. it's completely different now with today's stars, Connor McDavid here, Leon Dreisaitl, Nathan McKinnon. Um, how big a shift has there been because you've seen it all? Yeah. Uh, an enormous shift in, uh, I, I think it's two ways. I think you, you touched on it there. The player nowadays, and we're talking the last 15 years, has grown up in an environment where information is accessible on everything. Like oh, You yeah. can look back and guys are on the bench looking at, what did I just do there? Oh, what was I thinking? So it's instantaneous for them. Yeah. And they are they do have a thirst and a drive because they're going to be more instantaneously judged on what they do. They want the feedback right away. How can I change that? What can I do? So what can I work on? I'm not good at this. Like that is part of the culture. I'm not sure the culture of instant reactions is always the best thing, but from a player development perspective, it's amazing. Like I, I, I marvel when I'm watching our games and doing the games and there, you just missed a good down low play on a two on one and you're back on the bench looking to see what happened. Well, the teaching aspect of that is so great because now the player can react in real time. Like the next shift, oh, I know what that guy's going to do now. It used to take us a day or two of breaking down film and getting yeah. it. So I, I think the player developing, you mentioned Connor or whatever, has that instantaneous, how can I get better tomorrow or next shift with that? I think it's brilliant. I think it does show why the today's star players are so good and continue to get better 
because that's just been ingrained in their DNA since they started playing hockey. And it, it makes a huge difference. See, the 61-year-old guy watching and seeing guys look at their iPad on the bench yeah. is numbing for me, yet the 14-year-old sitting next to me watching the game on TV doesn't think anything of it. It's, it's amazing, and he's isn't got it? Three, and the 14-year-old has an iPad and a phone and watching yes. two different games at the same time. Yes. So that gives you the mentality. So as a coach, Robin, you're right. You do have to make that adjustment in your mind. Say, it's not okay to just, they want to know, well, why do you say that? Or show me what the difference is. And I, I think there'd been a long way that, you know, coaches don't get enough uh, credit for how much they communicate anyways. I mean, it's an every day, every minute with pretty much every guy that you have to be prepared with some sort of a messaging that can connect with them and understand it. But I, I do think it's amazing to me. I would, I would love as a coach today to have that quick conversation show and then give an idea that can help you react better the next time. And I go, that, that's pretty incredible. And that's why you do see, you know, such greatness in, in so many of the young players. The, the other thing, too, and I, I was lucky because on the first couple of years I was riding the buses, I had Billy Moores and Claire Drake. So what a great combo. Yeah, huh? so you're coming back <laughs> on the bus from Saskatoon after a really tough series with the University of Saskatchewan, and you could ask yeah. these guys questions and you could learn. Now, for you to want to go on and do some coaching, and you are doing a great job of describing – during the television broadcast as well. But who were the coaches that really kind of set the table for you? Because you have to have yeah. really great mentors to want to go in that direction, Simmer. Yeah, I, I think without question, my my experience in Pittsburgh wasn't all that great, a losing atmosphere and a kind of bad culture and that. But without question, you know, the trio of, of Glenn and Muck and Greeny, uh, and then as he came along, Ronnie Lowe, uh, too, of just, you know, understanding the balance of everybody's got to do something a little bit different. Glenn is doing something different than John, and John's sending a different message to me. And Teddy would have a different element that could help me. They all need, they all are really important to push the best out of me. And, you know, sometimes it is a snap or a hard part. Sometimes it's a coddle and say, no, you got to back off on that and be, be feeling confident in yourself. And other times it's a focus on what you have to work on. And like I, I've always said, the best players have incredible, you know, self-awareness of if you're not playing well or not scoring, the coach isn't going to be able to get you out of it or tell you, he can give you ideas, but you have to be honest with yourself. And I, I've always went through this process. Like, a, are you in shape? Like, are you working hard enough? Are you doing the extra things? Like, you got to be honest with yourself. And that's where I was saying about Robin, about the young guys now. I think their accountability in that form is like, I've got to make sure I'm in the best shape of my life every day going on. And uh, I, I think there's a balance of that. But I think from a coach's perspective, John did so many different things than Glenn. And Teddy did different things than John and Ronnie did different things than John, you know, and I, I think that's what a coaching staff can bring to everybody because like you guys are parents, like the same voice every day will drive you your kids nuts, right? Like yeah. the message doesn't get through. You got to sometimes be a different dad or a different messaging or somebody else has to come in or, you know, your friend, or your brother might be able to impact your child more with the same message, but it's coming from a different voice. And I think you see that a lot in the game of hockey. 
you know, it, it's interesting, Simmer. There's there's so many components to being a good coach. Um, you can be technically strong. Uh, you can be uh, a guy who commands respect. I don't know how good a technical coach uh, Ronnie Lowe was, but I know that everybody I ever talked to wanted to play for him, wanted yeah. to do well for him. Um how broad a range is there and what makes a good coach? Uh, you know, do you have to be a technician if you if you can draw the best out of people? Or, you know, what makes a great coach in your mind? Well, I think if you're not the best tactician, then you have to have somebody on your staff who is. Like, that's what I mean about the different voices. But yeah. there, there's not a team. You might have a team that kind of gets ticked off at, the coach because he's hard on you for this or that. But the bottom line is that there's a respect for the guy is he's knowledgeable. He's yeah. compassionate. He cares about you. He's got your back. You know, we always talked about there's accountability, respectability, uh, vulnerability is the key. Like you, you have to have some vulnerability in you as the coach, even to bring your guys to say, no, we got to lift each other up when things are like Ronnie was great because uh, he just brought, he's such a good person. And when you couple good person with a good work ethic and a good message with a good passion for what you're doing, you can bring that responsibility, respectability, accountability, everything. But the vulnerability I, I've always said is the fourth thing that every championship team has, because nobody's alone and saying, I got this like Connor McDavid, if they're going to win, you know, there has to be those moments where the other guys are going, I got to support him now. This is my time to go. We can't, we can't do it without me being a part. And you got to be acceptable of that. I mean, that to me is really the thread that takes teams to another level of being, you, you love each other and you want to do things for the, you care if he's hurting or if there's a bad night, I want to prop you up. And so when everybody's propping the other guy up, there's only one way to go and that's upwards. And I think that's, that's what you need. And that's what all cup championship teams, even in the last five, six, 10 years, they all have that. You can see it in the way they play for each other. Right? How many, like look at Tampa at times. You oh, can yeah. see that. Yeah. And how many cup finals were you and you've, you've won it twice, but yeah. I, I want to kind of do the, the comparable between coaching in 06 yeah. and playing and winning. I, did you, I can't recall you losing in a final. No, well, the coaching loss was the hardest. I've always said, Mac and I talk a lot. It, it's it's the most devastating thing I've had in my professional hockey life. And going from playing to coaching and being, I've done the Stanley Cup since 2008. So that, that's a long time watching and being a part of those moments. And the, the hardest part was just, the feel you have for our players that have worked to such a high level for each other. There, there's the togetherness that they had too. And the breakthrough performances that guys had individuals had, but they did it collectively too. And then the belief that they had in each other to get to that level. I said, they worked equally as hard as the Carolina hurricanes throughout all that. They, they won 15 of the 16 games that you had to get there. They did all those things to push through boundaries, to, to break through the glass, to like, literally go the extra mile for a teammate to make this possible and they get nothing out of it. And I feel that way, even as a, 
broadcaster now, you know, you respect the, the winning team usually wins with some incredible performances, but the losing team had incredible performances all along the way, but there's just no payoff for it. It, it was the worst, worst experience of my life, but the, actually the best experience as well, watching our guys develop and believe and grow. I remember standing on the bench in second period of game five in Detroit and just felt we're, we're going to, we're good. Like our, because our, our players believed that they were actually a better team. We can beat these guys and we're going to beat these guys. And I go, that that's the power of sport. Did that Hemsky goal take them to the next level then? Cause that- yeah, well that, that ending was pretty, yeah. yeah. Like that gets you, that gets you out of the first round feeling a, like you belong because you came back and scored two quick ones there, right. To finish them off. Cause you know, you go back for game seven in Detroit, you're probably losing. I, and, I mean, and, and they had a pretty good year, Simmer. Detroit yeah, had a hell of a but, year. But you, you won it with those earlier games. Yeah. And I would say the same thing. We didn't lose the Stanley Cup in game seven. I, we lost it in game one. Yeah. And I go, I, I another hit of a feeling after game six. We played probably the most perfect game of the playoffs in game six of the final. What was it, four-nothing win yeah. or whatever. And I thought, I said to Mac, I go, you know, game one was our, it, it was the meltdown, it was the loss. And, you know, you could take the injury to Roley in that, but we had a 3 nothing lead, you got to win that game. Yep. And so I felt there, that would have been a night in game six that the cup should be on the ice for us right now. And I go, that that's a great reminder that, you know, it's the seventh game we lost, but the, the cup was lost for us on, on game one. You know, it's funny. We all see things through our own lenses, Simmer. I got to Edmonton in time for the back end of that 89-90 season, and I got to cover that last Stanley Cup uh, team only home games, mind you, but at least I got to do it. <laughs> then, then we come along to this, and when you guys won four to nothing, and I've been on the beat quite a while, then I came home and I re- remember thinking, and you're supposed to be arm's length from yeah. that you cover, but I thought, Jesus, these guys are these guys are going to win this thing. That was an ass kicking. I mean, they've got all the mo going into that last game, and I. I walked into that dressing room and I've seen more pissed off rooms, but I've never walked into a dressing room and seen so much, I don't know, players just crushed by the result, not outwardly, but just dead silence. It was awful. Yeah. So I, I would say part of what worked against us in that brilliant game six too was, it, it allowed Peter Laviolette, and if I was a captain or a player on Carolina, it was almost better that you got owned. Oh, yeah. And you, you could throw, as Mac always said on some of those games, and some of the games are when you play really poorly. You just say, guys, we all know at the end of the game, you know, the Stanley Cup was on the line. We had a chance to win, you know, our first. We got outplayed terribly. Uh, we now have one more chance on home ice. Let's feel all the emotion we're feeling here. This is in the Edmonton dressing room before you get back on a plane. I, that, I'm, I guarantee you that was the conversation. And just say, let's throw this one and the emotions of this one in the garbage and let's go home and get prepared for what, what you want, game seven on home ice. I, I did think 
if they had a lost a game where they played unbelievably well and we squeaked out a win, that would have broken their heart more than they're going, guys, everybody had erased the memory banks on that. And it's harder to do when you win and play that perfect game because if I felt it as a coach that crap tonight, we should have had the, we should have won the Stanley cup tonight. Now you got to go do it all over again on the road, knowing that I, I thought, Hey, it's a perfect storm for Carolina in that regard, but it allowed them to throw all the emotions of that game in the garbage at the, what were we called back then? Rexall or we uh, might've been sky reach at that point. <laughs> yeah. But in the dressing room and then go back home and get ready. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that it was game one in your estimation, because then I go, I think back to the 1990 run and, and I always tell people that there were two games that to me, none of the games in Boston it really determined the cup for me. It was winning game yeah. six in Winnipeg, which I thought was huge. And having the privilege to travel with you guys on the charter, you could feel it. Game six, you're going back for game seven. I never felt you guys were ever going to lose that one. And then yeah. and then the other game that, that really sticks out for me, Mess just went crazy at the Chicago Stadium and took the heart right game out four. of the Yeah, took the yeah. heart right out of the crowd. And you can see the Blackhawks never were the same after that. And those are the two the two games that meant uh, a lot to me when watching you guys play that, that those were huge games. And then what you did in Boston, you guys were just, I don't want to say cruise control, but I felt you guys always, even though we had the long, long Peter Klima game, as I like to refer to it after that, that was, that took the heart out of Boston, I thought, but every series, I guess, kind of flips, huh? Yeah. But think of even that first game. Oh yeah. Had we lost, had we lost that first game? We had a two nothing lead on the road. Game one, Ray Bork scores two goals in the third, one with like a minute and a half left or something like that. And then so, you know, that again is where that first game was huge. Second game wasn't even a contest. Because, yeah. And I don't blame it for them. I as in I remember waking up. We had a luckily we had two days in between game one and, and three. But I woke up at about noon, like hard because we had a day off. We were never got to bed till about three. And I remember I could, couldn't even open my hands. You know, you're kind of dehydrated a bit there. And I'm just so sore. And I go, the, the first thought I had was, oh, my gosh, I got to get my body moving. The second thought I had, honest to God, imagine what Ray Bork feels like right now. Like that, that was the second thought of my mind waking wow. up the next morning. Because I go, Bork, he played how long was the game? He played. It seemed like he, he was on. Game. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, uh, but there's the mental win again. I would go, had we lost that game after being up? It's very much like 2006. You know, you got a lead and then you gave it up and then you lost it dramatically with all the physical and emotional things. But, you know, there's always those moments. I go back to game five of the Winnipeg series after we were down three to one. And, you know, that year I had a lot of I had 16 goals that year. But the maybe biggest goal I think I scored early, we were down halfway through game five, down three to one. We were down by two, and we're down three one in the series. Yep. We're on home ice, not much is happening. Scored a rebound goal that got us to three two, and we scored right after that to get to three three. We end up winning that one. And then, like, you need those little moments that say, we're almost out of this thing. And for the team and the group and enough of the guys who had been Stanley cup champions and had been through 
losing to Gretz after being up three to one, being down three to one got us that belief in each other. Like we, it pushed us to the brink of, are we blowing this thing up or are we bringing it back together? Yari scores the winner in Huge. game six, big games. Uh, you know, Billy stops a breakaway in game seven and we win. You know, those are the things that are the path that gets you to the ultimate goal. And you need to have those amazing moments to make it possible. Simmer, this might be a bit of a grenade and it's not meant to be, but well, no, you're at the age now where you've got the perspective and you touched on it earlier, talking about how good the players are now, as opposed to being that old guy who says, well, back in my day, it was better when it wasn't better. It wasn't the, the players weren't as good, but you've played with, Mario Lemieux, you've played with Wayne Gretzky, you've played with Mark Messier, you're watching Connor McDavid. Um, I won't say best player you've ever seen because I think team accomplishments work into that. And when a guy's yeah, got they're multiple, part of it, right? Yeah. yeah. Multiple Stanley Cups, which Connor does not have yet. But when you look, who's the most talented player you think you've seen? Wow. See, I, I, even as a analyst that I am now, I, I've had a really difficult time throughout my life trying to compare errors. I, I think you have to have a stop and a start line. Like it's, you know, you're, you can run a hundred meter dash or a 400 or an 800 or the 1500, but I don't think you're, you can't go from 1939 to 2021 and try to compare players across it. Um, you know, if I was asked once, I was asked a million times cause I played with Mario and then with Wayne, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I go like Mario was, was the most individual talented guy that I had played with. Like he could just do things at different speeds and it, like, it just, it was kind of magical. Then you go play with big. Wayne. Yeah. But, and then Wayne could think things and do things and react to things better than anybody I had ever been around. And I, I think Connor has it, the, the best compliment you could give is in a time where there are so many talented players who can play at incredible speeds, who have great hands, like guys can go through traffic guy. It's better checking than it's ever been. And guys can still make guys look foolish in that. Connor has been able to create a little gap and a separation. I think that's hard to do in today's game. And I think last year was a good stepping stone for him because after Leon having an amazing year again, like there, that's a good Messier Gretzky push of each other. Uh, but I thought for Connor, it's that uh, thing I was mentioning earlier about you sit in the summer and say, what can I get better at? What can I do? Like Connor's so much better at calmness around the net. He can dictate, get a goaltender to move kind of like Mario did at times. Whereas Connor's first three years, how many times did he miss because he's coming in full speed and his hands and mind weren't quite ready to make those deft little plays. Now, it's a highlight reel every time he does that. So there's a great player trying to get better on that. So the hardest part in today's game is to have that separation from the greatest to the next level. Mm-hmm. Wayne Wayne really was able to do that. It's not just points, but in the way he played. Um, but I, I think Connor has, I'll be really fun and interested to see in what he comes up with this year, because, you know, the checking that he faces 
is nothing like those guys back then had to, like they could make you look foolish. It's harder. It's, it's faster. It's more difficult. The schemes are better against you. And I think Connor's been able to create some of that separation, which is really quite incredible for, for a top guy to be able to do. We don't want to chew up a ton of your time. This has been great, by the way. I think I'm on my second coffee, which is nice. But like, <laughs> the, hey, the, how do you see the season coming up? Tampa have just, just looked so strong over the last few seasons. And I know that with the COVID stuff and the way yeah. things have all shaken down, it's been a little different than maybe a traditional season. But are they still the team to beat going into this season, do you think? You know what? They've, they've lost a lot, and they've lost a lot of the depth. But I think they they are, you know, they are a team that the top guys are still good enough to push you and still at an age and level where you can go. I, I would maybe even look at it a bit as they might have a year like we did after losing Gretz and losing in 89 with a lot. I mean, they didn't lose a Wayne Gretzky, but they lost a lot of supportive guys, which were huge to get them and keep them at that high level. They may have to take a little step back. And then the younger guys who are coming up who are have been around that environment are learning to play at that level and be the impactful guys that maybe can push them back there. But, you know, you always have to beat the Stanley Cup champs. You guys have seen it every year. There's a measuring stick coming in. Yep. But I think this is a year that I, if, you know, if I was another top team, I go, you're not thinking that it's a given Tampa's going to win. So it's wide open in my opinion. Bryn, I've, I've, uh, I've always been never a person that you can look at second day of training camp and say, who's going to be the best team? I have no I idea, yeah. you know, and, and that regard. But I do think that Tampa's competitiveness of their top guys are so good. And even the younger guys coming up, you saw it a little uh, like last year, guys who played no role in the 20 played a pretty good role in 21. So who's going to be that next guy that maybe can keep them relevant there? Uh, but I, I think it'll be really fun to watch because if I was another top team, I'd be going, this is the year, you know, let's let's take control. And you've got fans back in the stands. you got a little different energy. I think a lot of interesting things could happen as the year goes along. One last thought for me, Simmer, and, and uh, I'll never, I don't think I was ever accused of being a homer when I wrote the beat, but I look <laughs> at this club and it hasn't accomplished really anything. Uh, right. The old, the bottom line is what have you won? And, but when I look at the start with McDavid, when you start with McDavid and Dreisaitl, yeah. Holy cow. And you got a Ken Holland as GM who knows how to put the team together and an experienced coach in Dave Tippett. I maybe I'm dreaming here and correct me if I am. I see this team being a lot closer to contending this coming season with the changes they've made. Than last or the other. Yeah. And I think they'll say, well, they're not going to go from out in the first round against Winnipeg to winning a cup. I'm not saying they're winning a cup, but I think if things fall right, this team could go to a conference final. If I'm, if I'm dreaming, tell me, but when I look at the changes, I see a lot of good things uh, percolating here. Yeah. And I, I think the key is going to be, you know, your top guys are going to be leaders and uh, flip a coin. I, I would still probably pick McDavid to lead the league in scoring, but dry might be the guy. Like that's a pretty amazing yeah. uh, reality each and every year. What is, what has killed them uh, is that they haven't had that depth and, and the great teams 
uh, our 88 team with, you had Wayne doing what he did and Mark's line and that, but you never had a break. Like the third and fourth lines forced you to play in your own zone. Yeah. Tampa, the two years, like third and fourth lines have good shifts, wear guys out, create a mismatch. The top lines come in, boom, you're down by one, boom, you're down by two. But it was three, four shifts earlier that got that pressure going. Yeah. It's been it's been the black hole of the Edmonton Oilers, right? Yeah. Top guys. You, you, if I'm playing against them, I go, what's my matchup against Drysaddle? What's my matchup against McDavid? If they're out in the same line, that's probably the only one I have to worry about. And so you never get anybody reeling in a game because you're not having that push. And now, hopefully, the depth. Like even I, I said a couple of years ago, I thought Derek Ryan was a guy that I would have had here two or three years ago to just fill a hole so you don't have to worry about it. And have some consistency, consistent play, good work ethic, and build around that. And maybe can score because he can a little bit there. Yeah. You know, it's it's not like third and fourth lines are going to win you cups. But if you don't have them, they'll cost you a first-round loss against a good opponent. And that's been the reality for the Oilers. And I think they're you're right, Robin. They're much better situated, potentially, to have those positions filled and find a way to make it uh, make it work and keep that pressure on when McDavid or Drysaddle aren't on the ice. Before we go, I have two questions. The first one is 20 years from now, when you're sitting down by the edge of the lake and you start to think <laughs> back on your career, both playing and broadcasting. Okay, so playing, you mentioned Mario, Wayne, Mass. Then you look at broadcasting, Huey, Chris Cuthbert. Cuthbert like, yeah. That's blessed. You've been yeah. blessed, man. Absolutely. And I, I think I've, I've always felt, you know, I, I said about Huey being a good teammate. I've always felt, you know, never be intimidated by being around greatness. Embrace it and learn from it. Uh, you know, I, I think that's been the great fortune of, of my professional hockey life of saying, you know, don't be jealous of other people. Like I would love an opportunity if I was a young player now to play with Dreisaitl or McDavid. Why wouldn't you? You know, it's, but you learn from it and you try to always uh, surround yourself with something that I learned something every day from playing with Mario Lemieux or Wayne Gretzky or having Mark Messier as a captain. You take a nugget out of everything that makes you a better person, makes you a better player. Same thing in the booth. You know, the, 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 the magic of being with Jim said he's had the most influence on me and my broadcast life for sure. But at the thread of it all was friendship and, uh, you know, caring for each other. The hardest part with Chris this last year is we, we still haven't had a dinner together. Like the protocols in place, part of what makes you great chemistry and, and Chris is a brilliant broadcaster and it's been so much fun to have him as a partner. What I look forward to is hopefully this year that we can finally sit and do the game the night before. Huey yeah. and I did two games every weekend, the one in the, in the bar or in the restaurant the <laughs> night before and the one for you guys on the air. And Chris and I haven't had a chance to do that, but th that'll be your, your bang on Brent. The, the greatest memories are the the incredible people I've had along the way. And, you know, another one that I can't wait to celebrate this year is Kevin going into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, Kevin Lowe has had – I've been out to the shoe swap at his place since 1993 when he bought it. There aren't two better people that you'll find than, than Kevin and Karen. And, you know, there's another moment that I can't wait to – 
not be a centerpiece of, but just in the background going, Kevin, what a great moment for you and the family. And those are the special people that you remember through all the years of doing anything you do and anything you love. And lastly, and this is totally unrelated, but I've been meaning to ask you this for a year because I stumbled on this stat when I was looking at your uh, your playing career. In the 89-90 season, you're playing with the Oilers. You racked up 180, forget about the, the offensive stats, yeah. 180 yeah. minutes in penalties, WTF. What, what happened that you know what? season? Uh, it was a season of frustration. Uh, and honestly, it was at the... Uh, it was at the point where I was getting abused in front of the net so much and they weren't calling penalties and my back was struggling a bit there already. And I, I probably took four 10 minute misconducts at the end of the game where I remember getting into an argument in LA where I was just getting worked in front the entire time I'm there and the refs weren't calling anything. Yeah. And I went in and I was complaining to Kerry Frazier, and he's like, oh, if you're going to stand there, you got to go, I'm going to stand there. The guy's just teed off on me, and, and not like today's little thing. Like, guy's just teeing off on me five times. And I went in then, and I gave him a little cross-check to try to get my position, and he called a penalty on me. And I was just, I lost it there, and there was a 10-minute. So there's 12 minutes that happened on that one alone. But I, I will say, and I, I've said before, it was a year of frustration. I didn't have a very good year. I think I had 30 goals or 29 goals or something. And I was frustrated at the end of the year. And the great, the great thing about that was, again, your teammates and your mindset of going to me, and I've always said this, and Gretz always said, there's three seasons. There's the regular season, there's the playoffs, and then there's the Stanley Cup final. Because the Stanley Cup final is different than the playoffs, yeah, know, too. But I go, so my regular season was 180 whatever minutes and a bad year offensively. You're frustrated. Playoffs are my great, you know, the great unknown. I said, all I have to do is focus on this now. Here's, forget about all the bad things that happened. Get now. And I said, I had my best playoffs. I had 16 goals and 31 points and the rest was history. But there's that whole, no, yeah. And, and you got to hoist the mug. And there's that self-evaluation, as they said. You know, I knew that that kind of mentality going into the playoffs would be detrimental. So you got to wipe it clean, start fresh, and get going from there. Wow! I tell you, I tell you what. Had had defensemen not been able to do what they could do to you during the years <laughs> you played, you would have played 15 years. Yeah, I know. And, I mean, that was. I mean. It was unbelievable. That's the bad old days because I tell you what, uh, you had to have some big time jam to stand around in front. There were no pretty goals scored there. No, uh, there wasn't. But you know what? It was such a good fit. The way that Glenn and Mark played, it was a good compliment. You know, again, I, I the magic and Bryn, you asked about those moments of remembering. I mean, to have basically four and a half, five years of Mark Messier and Glenn Anderson as your line mates and win two Stanley Cups with them and learn how to play at a, at a higher level, a different level. I mean, those are the things. But part of the thing that I complimented that line was be disruptive in front. Those guys are so disruptive everywhere else. <laughs> it worked pretty well for a while. Mission accomplished. Hey, thanks for your time today. We, we'll try not to bug you during the season. This is... This has been great. Uh, really enjoyed it. And uh, keep up the, the great work, okay? Appreciate it, guys. Brent, Robin, anytime. Thanks. 
The Outsiders is brought to you by the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City. Well, as expected, things did slow down on the real estate front in the Metro Edmonton market over the summer. That's no big surprise. We all kind of knew that was coming. Brent's been saying it for months. But if you're finding that your household is a little on the small side right now and your current family roster is growing, then now's a good time to track them down. Give them a call at the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City, and they can assist you with the sale of your pick or your purchase of your next superstar. You can find them at 780-464-0075 or macintoshgroup.ca if you want to send them an email and they would love to chat with you. They can get the process going with a complimentary evaluation of your current home. No obligation, no deadline for this offer, but don't let the market pass you by. It's been really quite strong this year. They're very happy with the way things have gone, both buyers and sellers. Anyway, get a hold of Brent or any of his team members at the Macintosh Group at Remax River City. Wow, that was a that was a hell of an episode today, Robin. That was fantastic. Absolutely, man. You know, Craig. Uh, we've known Craig a long time, mm-hmm. and uh, he uh, he sure knows the game inside and out. It was fun to hear his his uh, the way he viewed coaching, the way he viewed playing, the way he viewed broadcasting. I really enjoyed that interview today. I thought he I thought he brought it, but that's no big surprise to me or you. I'm guessing. No, and the thing is, Bryn, we, we've been around long enough to have seen, you know, we laugh about the EA sports thing, but uh, <laughs> we've seen Simmer as a player, as a young player, uh, as a coach here in Edmonton uh, with the Oilers. And, of course, uh, everybody's seen him uh, as a broadcaster. Um, those are those are three pretty good careers, uh, each one of them, and he's uh, – He's done all three. It's an interesting story. I wasn't kidding when I, I said you've been blessed because yeah. we all get this opportunity as we get a little later in life where maybe our health has not been good. I, I know that I've felt this way over the last year and a half where you start to look back at your career and your life as a family man and all these different elements. And you think to yourself, you know what? If it ended today, I'd be fine. I think I've made my impact. And I also believe that other people have made an impact on me and that life's been damn good. And I, I think that sometimes people don't slow their life down enough to just sit there, as I said, by the side of the lake at any age and think to yourself, you know what? Yeah, it might be pretty shitty here, but man, when you start looking at the whole overall picture of your life, it it really is a Rembrandt in most cases. I got to think at least my, in my case, I can't speak for you. Can't speak for Simmer. But I, I, for me, I don't think that I have a lot of regrets, but I, I can tell you one thing. Uh, when my time comes to sit by the lake, and I've had a few occasions to sit by the lake lately, you just start to take a look and think to yourself, wow, I just, uh, hey, listen, let's just uh, let's keep rolling with it as long as we can because it's been great to this point. Well, Bryn, honestly, um, I sort of, my mindset changed uh 15 years ago. Yep. And I joke about it. And what matters most to me now, uh, and I haven't had, you know, I'm no, I'm not going to be ever be in the hockey hall of fame as a writer. And I didn't have a playing career 
uh, like like Craig did or a coaching career in the National Hockey League. But I think if you ask people, no matter how great they've had uh, times in their life with careers, at a certain point in their life, if you ask them what's the most important thing, they'll talk about the people in it. And most often uh, that can be the, fa- the family in it. And I know on my, for what it's worth on my Twitter avatar, I don't have a former hockey writer, blah, 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 all the things you can say. I have, I am Sam's dad. Yes. And that becomes, yeah, so your perspective changes. And Simmer's a little bit younger than us, even though he's been around for a good long time. And the the uh, experience you had that you've come through, uh, thank God. Um, yeah, your perspective changes as you get a little bit older and uh, the things that are important in your mind change as well. And I think we see that with Simmer and uh, it was a, it was a fascinating chat with him. I got to say, make sure you tell your friends to subscribe or check out our RSS link. And uh, that will get our feed to you and your favorite ear candy site, like Apple, Google, Spotify, pocket cast, Deezers, you know, any place you are able to uh, download us. And we're also on YouTube as well. And uh, we're now, I record, Robin is at his uh, home office. I'm recording at the Road 55 studio in downtown Edmonton. Uh, We're having a lot of fun with this. Your support is greatly appreciated. And uh, we'd be thrilled to talk to anybody about potential advertising partners because we're about to start off in the month of October here very quickly doing two episodes a week. So we're looking to add some new features uh, and already have a lineup of guests coming up in the month of October, which is great. So we plan on getting bigger and better, but we really do need your support. We need you to retweet your buds about every podcast that you hear. And if you like it, please tell us. More importantly, tell your friends. And uh, uh, like I said, today today was very, uh, very super. That's horrible English. It was a super episode <laughs> with Simmer today, so really enjoyed it. Are we, are we done, Robin? Is that about it for now? I think I've, yeah, I think we're good for today, pal. Yep, and of course, the Canadian Football League is going to start marching through the month of October, November, as we uh, get ready for an actual Grey Cup going to be handed out. So there's lots of other sports to talk about, and I don't know what's going to happen to the Blue Jays this week, but man, we'll uh, we'll see how it shakes down as they shoot for a wild card spot. I, I I am almost afraid to talk about it because it might jinx it. But okay, Robin, talk to you next. Yeah, I'm not going to say anymore. Let's just see what happens. Robin, we'll talk to you next week. Yes, you will. Bye, bye, boys. Have fun storming the castle.